You know, we're coming into Thanksgiving, right? And I felt pressure, as always, when these holidays come around, to preach on being thankful. But instead of preaching on something, preaching on being thankful, I'm going to preach something that should cause thankfulness to rise up within you. You know, I could have chose, like, it's so easy to do. I could have preached a message on why that you should feel guilty for not being thankful. But today we're going to do something different. We're going to, we're going to look at uh, a desire that I believe is so strong in the heart of God for His people. And that's how to live guilt-free. You know, let me ask you something. As we were worshiping, I just felt God just spoke this to me, and I know it's for someone that's listening, and is that what if what you believe about God is wrong? What if the way that you see God is wrong? What if the way that you have been told that God is like is wrong? And what if these wrong beliefs about God is causing you not to experience all that He is and all that He has for you in your life? What if it's wrong? You know, we come into Thanksgiving here and, you know, if you're really a hipster and stuff like that and into this stuff, you know, everybody's wanting free-range turkeys. Cage-free turkeys, right? I don't care. I want the cheapest turkey. The most turkey for my buck. That's what, that's what I want. But do you know what I would like? I would like some cage-free Christians. I would like Christians, sons and daughters of God that have been set free by the grace of Jesus Christ and now are free to reign in His kingdom and run in the pastures of His mercy and grace and love. That's my desire. And that's my desire for you guys this morning. And, and the, the thing about it is, is, you know, this has been a journey for me. This, the, the, the way of grace. Understanding the Gospel. And an awakening to what Jesus Christ has truly done and accomplished. That it's not about me. It's all about Him. That Jesus is enough. And as I went on this, as I've been on this journey in my own personal life, and understand that Jesus Christ has single handedly, completely accomplished everything through his death, burial, and resurrection for, for me, for you, it, 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 it saddens me more and more when I see Christians that only know. God and only know the Bible through being rooted in guilt and condemnation and fear. That the only thing they know about God is how guilty He makes me feel. When they read the Bible, they feel condemned and there's a spirit of fear that hovers over their life. 
When the Bible says that perfect love casts out fear, and that we are to be rooted and grounded in love, and that God Himself is love. This false concept of our Heavenly Father has produced inferior motives for living the Christian life. The the very motive people live the Christian life is mostly out of guilt and condemnation. And let me tell you, that type of life is difficult. It's burdensome. It's unfulfilling. And it's fruitless. The lens of guilt and condemnation fear given to us by religion produces further emotions of indebtedness. This whole message kind of springboards off a conversation Tim and I had Wednesday night. Indebtedness. Do you feel indebted to God? Do you feel obligated? Obligation. Do you have concern of judgment? Is there fear of punishment? This leads to mentally of a performance-based relationship. Relationships don't work that way. If you are constantly in a relationship based on your actions, that relationship is going to crash and burn. We, we, we desire reward for our correct actions. And then this desire to be rewarded for our correct actions because our actions aren't always correct lead us to feelings of inferiority. They bring low self-esteem, depression, isolation, and rejection. Does any of those emotions, ever, does that ring true in you? You know, the biblical definition of guilt is very much the same as the definition it has for judgment. It means to be under sentence, condemnation, or brought to trial or justice. The dictionary defines the word guilt as feeling a feeling of responsibility or remorse for some offense, crime, or wrong, whether real or imagined. As Christians, our guilt is rooted in the belief of having offended a holy and righteous God. And you can deny the existence of God and still be under guilt and condemnation. Because you know. You know. We all know. The issue of guilt is as old as man itself. It goes way back to the first people when Adam and Eve Eve ate from the tree that God commanded them not to. Guilt and condemnation came into their life. Their conscience was seared. They had an evil conscience towards God. Guilt has been a part of man's psychological and emotional makeup ever since that day. There is no emotion that is more destructive than the emotion of guilt. There is no emotion more destructive than the emotion of guilt. 
Because it, at its root, guilt is a condition of being condemned and separate from a holy God deserving divine judgment and punishment. Do you understand what the word condemnation, con- condemned, means? It literally means that you, are a per- you, you believe that you are a person that is not fit for use. When you condemn a building, it's not fit for use. No one can even go into it. And that feeling of condemnation makes you feel like you are unworthy, no good, and not fit for use. It is impossible. It's impossible to live the victorious Christian life if you are in constant guilt. So this should answer a lot of questions when it comes to the condition of the body of Christ. Why we are not living victoriously. So many of us actually believe that it's normal. That the emotion of guilt is a healthy Christian emotion. And many church leaders and preachers and teachers, they try to make you feel guilt. But they're weighed down. It just weighs down people with condemnation, with fear. And, 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 and to, to believe in a sick, twisted mind that guilt is a healthy Christian emotion. You, only religion could come up with such a thing. Statistics show that we, we, we live in one of the most prosperous, one of the most convenient we have more luxuries today than any other other civilization ever, right? As bad as you think it's getting, it's been a lot worse. It's been a lot worse. We have so much to be thankful for. We have so much to be um, grateful for. But for some reason, we we have an we have epidemic proportions of 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 uh, guilt, condemnation, and social disorders. And what's interesting is, is that Pentecostal, Charismatics, full gospel people are some of the suffer from guilt and guilt-related emotional disorders more than any other religious group. For many, their emotions of guilt and condemnation are so deeply rooted it becomes impossible for them to correctly respond to God in a daily relationship as He not only intended, but He desires. Do you understand that? So many of us, so many Christians have a hard time being intimate with God on a daily basis. Speaking to God as, as a friend. Being in prayer. Reading the Word. Why? Simply because they feel guilty. They feel guilty. Think about a relationship just, if you feel guilty of something that you have done to someone else in a relationship, you, you will you will uh, avoid that person. Let's have a test. We're going to have a test here. We're going to test our emotional well-being with God. Okay? This is only a test. What is the correct response 
What is the correct response when you, someone you deeply love and care about is gone for a prolonged period of time? What is, what is that response? What is the correct emotional response when someone that you truly love, someone that you love spending time with, someone that truly loves you, and, and they've been gone for a prolonged period of time? Would, would there be longing in your heart? Would, would there be a missing of that individual? Wanting to be with them and spend time with them? Right? See, Amanda went away for over a week. I think that's the longest she has ever went away from me since we've been married. She was gone for over a week with her kids. They went, went out to the, um, the, the women's um, conference at Cares Bible College. They had a wonderful time. But for me, left behind, there's deep longing. There, there, there's, miss, there's missing of her to want to be with her, right? To spend time with her. And just showing you guys how much I love and care about you, I'm going to give you a little glimpse. A little, it's kind of embarrassing. Even, even the smell of her. And as she was gone, I would roll over from my side of the bed onto her pillow just so I could smell her. I mean, isn't that truly how we should feel when someone that we care for, someone that we love, is gone? Now, do you love God? Do you love God? Do you have a loving relationship with Him? Yeah, yeah you do, don't you? I think we'd all agree that we love God. Now, let me ask you this question. What is the prevailing emotion you have when you fail to spend personal time with God for a prolonged period of time? What is the prevailing... For some, for some it, what, if they miss church for a long period of time, what is the, the emotion, the prevailing emotion that they have I think I'm going to answer it for you. With the prevailing emotion that most of you feel when you have not spent time with God for a prolonged period of time, be guilt. That's wrong. It should be longing. It should be a desire. Does it, do you feel condemned? Maybe a fear, maybe fear, a sense of being a failure. If we really want to be honest with ourselves, few could claim that they are completely free from this influence of guilt in our lives. All of us, in some way, are either partially are wholly motivated by this hidden guilt. The system of religion that many of us have grown up with makes it almost impossible to live free from this kind of guilt. 
the way that most of us have been taught about the Bible, about God, makes it possible, impossible for them to learn to live in freedom and the liberty that Jesus Christ has came to give us. So many of us are entangled in religious, legalistic self-righteousness, a poisonous mixture of the Old Testament law, or self-effort, and a New Testament hope. The New Testament isn't a hope. It's faith. It is. Faith is. The New Testament is now. It's not someday. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This religious system is the very roots of guilt and condemnation in our lives. Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 19. It says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Paul gives us a clear picture of what happens to anyone who lives their life under the law. Who lives their life in works. Works righteousness. Self-effort. What happens to that person that is living under the law? They become guilty. They become guilty. The emotion of guilt is the direct result of living under the law and self-effort works-based Christianity that has been peddled by religion forever. Get this. Guilt is one of the most... You guys aren't listening. Guilt is one of the most the most self-righteous feelings or emotion a believer can experience. Guilt is a self-righteous emotion. When there is guilt in our lives, it is a strong indication that we are living under the law, we are living legalistically, we are self-righteous. See, when we think of self-righteousness, we, we, we think of someone that is proud and arrogant and I am righteous. I am holy. I do this, this, and this. The people over here that's in guilt and condemnation, we would say, well, they're just being humble. No. It's like a double-ended screwdriver. On this end, you have a Phillips bit. And on this end, you have a, a straight edge. It's, this, it's the same thing. Both of them are dependent on you twisting the screwdriver. Grace is a Milwaukee power drill where you just hold on and you trust by faith that it's accomplished. It's the, same, it's the same thing. Whether you're proud in your, in your works and self-effort or you're condemned and guilty in your works and self-effort, it's still self-righteousness. It's still self-righteousness. 
Why do Christian leaders put people under guilt and condemnation? Never wonder that? If, if God's desire is for people not to be under guilt and condemnation, why do people preach it? Put them under conviction. It's simple. They believe that if they don't make people feel guilty, they won't have anything to motivate them to live the Christian life. It's a form of manipulation. And we have to be careful. I have to be careful as a parent. Because you can use these tools of manipulation and guilt to, to try to motivate your children. To motivate your spouse. It's just not in the church. It's, 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 it's a disgusting tool of Satan in this fallen world. It's witchcraft. They believe that if we don't guilt people in religion, because guilt is the number one motivator in religion, we'll guilt you to show up for church. We'll guilt you to pray. We'll get you, guilt you to serve. We'll guilt, guilt you to read your Bible. Have anybody experienced this before? Life <laughs> of but thank God that we weren't made for religion. You weren't made for religion. Religion doesn't work. We were made for relationship. And a, grill, and a guilt trip never works in a relationship. So if you're, you feel that your relationship, if there's a strain between you and God, if there's a, you feel there's a separation, you, you feel, feel that, that, that it's not as much as you know it should be. Check if you are under guilt and condemnation. Freedom from guilt is the, at the very heart of God's plan for humanity through the finished work of Jesus Christ. He has come to set you free. Look at Luke. In Luke chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus, he, when, this is the first time he, he read publicly uh, that we know of in the Bible up from the Scriptures. He, he turned to the book of Isaiah and he says, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me, he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty, as a word for freedom, those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What Jesus was quoting here was from Isaiah 61, right? Isaiah 61, chapter one, or verses 1 through 3. And he's proclaiming, Isaiah is proclaiming, and Jesus is echoing what he prophesied that when the Messiah come, he would bring in the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee. And for some people, they don't, we don't know what the year of Jubilee was, but for, for Israel, it was a year that all debts were canceled. They never celebrated it. They never celebrated the year of Jubilee. Where all debts were canceled, that the land would rest, that all slaves were free, and all property was returned to the original owners. 
They never, they never celebrated it, and the, the land never had its rest, and they actually, because of this, went into Babylonian captivity. And a lot of us are in, are in, kept, we're in captivity to a Babylonian system because we are not celebrating our jubilee. All debts were canceled. All prisoners were set free. Everything was returned and made right. Jesus makes it clear that not only is His ministry to set us free from sin, but also to cleanse us from the sense of indebtedness and guilt. Aren't you cleansed from indebtedness? Look at how Hebrews says this. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, he says, He is, speaking of Jesus, He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power after making purification for sins. What's, when something becomes purified, what does that mean? There's no contamination in it. Free of impurities. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Listen to how the Amplified Bible puts this. Now the Amplified, it's, it's a translation of the Bible because the Greek, the Greek words in the Bible have huge meanings compared to the English words that they're translated into. So what Amplified means, it takes those Greek words and tries to amplify it and gives you a clearer picture of what is being said. In the Amplified Version it says, He is the sole expression of the glory of God. Jesus is the only expression of the glory of God. Get that through your minds. The law, Moses, the prophets, all of that are not the expression of the glory of God. Only the manifestation of Jesus Christ and who He is. The light being, the out rain or radiance of the divine. And He is the perfect imprint, the very image of God's nature. Upholding and maintaining and guiding and propelling the universe by His mighty word of power. When He had by offering Himself accomplished our cleansing of sins and riddance of guilt, He sat down at the right hand of the divine majesty on high. Jesus came to cleanse our sins and to ridden us from guilt. Guilt is not a Christian emotion. Guilt is not for you. Guilt is not from God. It's demonic. And it's there to rob, kill, and destroy. Jesus not only cleanses us from our sins, but He rids us from guilt that came with sin. There are many reasons people allow guilt to cripple their lives. Some live with a false guilt. They live with a false guilt. This guilt is, is that one that we put on one another in order to manipulate one another. Pastors will make you feel guilty. Teachers will make you feel guilty. Parents will make you feel guilty. Spouses will make you feel guilty. How about that friend that always uses guilt to manipulate you?
Some of us live with real guilt. This is a guilt that haunts us because of times in our lives that when we have violated our conscience through things we have seen or things that we have allowed ourselves to do. Things that we've done. And some live with a tremendous shame and guilt because of what has been done to them through abuse, abuseful relationships, sexual abuse, all, all these things that, that should have never happened to us. But we live with the guilt, shame, and condemnation of those things that were done to us. And what you need to, li- you need to hear this morning is it doesn't matter what type of guilt you struggle with. It doesn't matter what the source is of your guilt. God's will is for you to live free from guilt. For you to live free in light from the burden of guilt. To live in freedom. And one of the greatest, greatest sources of guilt and condemnation in, in, in the emotional distress in our lives is failures and mistakes and sins and weaknesses of our past. For many... Your future has been put on hold. Your future has been put on hold because you allowed the guilt of your past to hold you in bondage. God has, listen, God has so much more for you. You, the word I don't deserve should never come out of your mouth. It should not be in your psyche. It shouldn't be in your thinking. You deserve it. You deserve a good life. You deserve a blessed life. You deserve a life filled with joy and peace and love. You, 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 enjoy, you, you deserve a life filled with the goodness of God. You deserve a life that lives in fellowship, in open communion with God, in open heaven. Jesus is the ladder to heaven. We, we, we don't need to climb some religious ladder to get to heaven. He is the very door to heaven. And we come boldly into the throne of grace. You deserve to believe with all your heart that God is for you and He's not against you. In Christ, your future does not have to determine... In Christ, your future is not determined by your past. Our whole future is determined by, by and through the life and work of Jesus Christ. The gospel is not about your past. The gospel is about your future. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, this is the Phillips translation. He says, For if a man is in Christ, he becomes a new person altogether. The past is finished and gone. Everything has become fresh and new. May we believe this this morning. All this is God's doing. For He has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ. And He has made us agents of reconciliation. God was in Christ personally reconciling the world to Himself. Not counting their sins against them. And He has commissioned us with a message of reconciliation. We are now Christ's ambassadors as though God were appealing directly to you through us. Know what he's saying right here? He's saying, 
that as a Christian, me as a pastor, I, you need to understand that God right now is appealing to you. He is begging you. He is begging you. Make peace with God. Why? Because God has made peace with you. God's not holding anything against you. He has made you a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has passed away. All things have become new. Hear the heart of God. Peace. I have nothing against you. Stop running from me. The war is over. Sin has been defeated. And you have been delivered. For God calls Christ, who Himself knew nothing of sin, actually to be made sin for our sakes, so that in Christ we might be made good with the goodness of God. You are good. You are a good person. God sees you as righteous. He sees you as holy. He sees you as good. How many of us in our minds have said to ourselves, I'm no good. God has made you good. Do not be self-righteous. And look at yourself. Don't look at your works. Don't look at what you've done. But look at what Jesus Christ has done. Believe the good news and be transformed. All of your past, both good and bad, is finished and gone. You need to understand that. Where does that come from? Both good and bad. From the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And there's a lot of people that try to live good. Do you know when you come to Jesus Christ and you become a new creation, all your goodness is done away with? All your goodness is done away with because our righteousness is but filthy rags compared to the righteousness of God? Even your goodness, your good works, there is no self-righteousness, there's no way to even have self-righteousness in Christ Jesus. Because you're good and you're bad. All those things that, that fall short, all those things that you knew that you shouldn't do, all those things that, you, that, that are constantly nagging and, and the accuser of the brethren is constantly, Satan is constantly bringing it to your mind and accusing you and holding you down and keeping you restrained from becoming everything that God has called you to become. That He has predestined you to become. That He's written it down in His book what He desires for you. It's a lie from the enemy. And Jesus Christ has set you free. All your guilt of the past is gone. Hallelujah! Amen! The Old Testament, in the Old Testament, it was an image, it was a shadow, it was, it, it, was a, it was a picture of a true reality that we have in Christ. And in the Old Testament, they would bring a sacrifice to a priest. And this, and this priest it, 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 it would take the sacrifice from an individual. And this person would bring that sacrifice, why? As a payment for their own sins. So when, when, an individual brought a sacrifice for payment for their sins, did the priest 
take the sacrifice, set it aside, and then examine the person that brought the sacrifice. Did he, did, did he look, he questioned them and find out all the things that they've done wrong and all this stuff? No. What did, what did the priest do? God says they were to examine the sacrifice. They were to examine the lamb. To look if there's spot, if there's blemish. It needed to be a perfect sacrifice. They didn't pay any attention to the person that brought it. All they cared about was the sacrifice. And they examined the sacrifice. Right? It had to be spotless. It had to be a pure sacrifice. And it would be offered in place of the man. And it would pay the debt and the guilt of the man. And the man would go free. Are you free this morning? Have you gone free? In John chapter 1, verse 29, this is John the Baptist. Baptist. He was baptizing people in the Jordan. And he's seen Jesus coming. And, and he said, as he saw Jesus coming toward him, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do you know how the world is still living under guilt? The world is still living under condemnation. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ has taken away their sin. Your sin has been done away with in Christ Jesus. The sin of the entire world has been done away with in Christ Jesus. Behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. What are we beholding? Are we beholding ourselves? Are we beholding our past? Are we beholding our inability to do and think and say what we know we should do, think and say? Or are we beholding Jesus Christ? Are we beholding the Lamb? The problem that we have, the problem that is in the heart of so many believers today is that we see and admit and agree to the statement that John the Baptist made. We agree that Jesus is the one that takes away the sins of the world. But in reality... We do not believe it in our lives. We do not believe it according to it, to it as being truth. We don't believe that our sins have been taken away. We don't believe that we're guilt free. We don't believe that we have been set free through Jesus Christ. Who the Son has set free is free indeed. And because of this, we still live with guilt. We live with an evil conscience towards God. We don't have peace with God. It means that we do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as being the propitiation sacrifice, the only sacrifice. i got a question for you. Did, did Jesus take away the sin of the world? Look at how the, how the Scripture answers this question. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, it says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation of our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The world has an advocate with the Father. You have an advocate with the Father. And you know what that means? That means that He is pleading your case despite your actions. He is... When you don't pray, guess what? You have an advocate with the Father that's constantly praying for you. He is humanity. He is humanity. When we don't worship God as being God in our life, 
we have an advocate with the Father that is offering up perfect praise and perfect worship. When we don't serve, we have one that is constantly serving. We have one that is constantly believing. We have one that is constantly in faith. We have an advocate with the Father, the perfect one, Jesus Christ. And He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for yours only, not for my only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Propitiation used here literally talks about satisfying of perfect justice of a holy and righteous God. God is satisfied with His provision, with His Lamb, with what His payment to buy us back, to purchase us back from the kingdom of darkness, to purchase us back from sin, to purchase us back from everything that the enemy tried to do to destroy our lives. God is satisfied. Are you satisfied with Jesus? Are you satisfied with the Lamb? He makes it possible for God to show complete mercy without compromising righteousness and His justice. His righteous justice. You understand that? In 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, again, it says, In this, the love of God has been made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. How does God want you to live? How does God want you to live? He wants you to live through Jesus. What does it look like to live through Jesus? Well, one of the ways that it looks like is a person that is completely free of guilt. A person that, is, that doesn't feel they have an indebtedness to God. A person that has been made good. That's what it looks like to live through Jesus. To believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ. To believe and see yourself as God sees you in Christ Jesus. That we might live through Him in this love. Not that we love God. Look at this. It's not about us loving God. It's about God loving us. He loved us and He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Again, John uses this word propitiation, declaring the fact that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ has taken care of the sin problem between man and God forever. Do you believe the good news this morning? You know, Paul writes in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Raise your hand if you have not ever heard that. Not surprised. Everyone has heard that. For all have sinned. And all... <laughs> I can't even get mad. Try to get mad. You're just a bunch of sinners. <laughs> you all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. You need to be ashamed of yourself. There. Preach, preach some guilt and condemnation. Right? We know that Scripture, but do you know what the Scriptures say that follow that Scripture? Look at this. Let me read it again. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, very next scripture, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption of Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. 
This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He passed over former sins. It goes on to say that you have been made righteous. You have been cleansed. You have been set free. That you no longer fall short. You no longer fall short. I started this message by saying, what if the picture that you believe about God is not true? What if what you've been told about God is not true? This is the truth. That you have been set free in Jesus Christ. And God is now holding one thing against you. You have been purified. You have been made righteous. That you, you no longer need to feel guilty. And if you feel guilty, all that is is a stupid light, like on the car, saying there's something wrong. There's something wrong with your believing. There's something wrong with your believing. And when I'm talking about guilt, I'm talking about a life of guilt. You know, there, there's, things, there's things in my relationship with Amanda that I do, and then I, I feel bad that I did it. Because it wasn't, it, it, it wasn't loving towards her. Right? And there will be times in our life where we'll do something and, and we'll feel bad for doing it because it wasn't loving towards God. It wasn't your relationship so close that it, you, it grieved God. God grieves when we don't live up to the full potential that, of what He's made us to be. Why? Because of what it does to us. Do you know that, that, that when you have sin in your life, do you know that doesn't separate God from you. It separates you from God. What's the difference? God doesn't go anywhere. You're the one that goes. You're the one that turns. You're the one that walks away. Why? Because you fall under guilt and condemnation. And, 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 and what God wants you to do in those moments of stumbling, in those moments of not living in your true identity and who Christ has called you to be, He just wants you to say, Lord, that was stupid. That's not who I am. I thank you that you, there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. I thank you that you have cleansed me from all guilt. And there is no indebtedness to you. It's time that the church starts walking guilt-free. To walk in freedom. To walk in freedom from the past. To, to, to get to a place where we when we, because of life and the hustle and bustle of life, when we don't spend the time that we need to spend the time with God, that there's actually a longing and a, a desire that I need to get back. I need to get back to God. Not a dread. Not a, man, I'm, I'm just no good. How can God, why would God even want a relationship with me? I can't even pray for five minutes. You know what? It doesn't matter how long you pray. God looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. And He desires to just be with you in your daily life. And prayer is not, sometimes it's good to be alone and, and spend time in prayer. But prayer is a lifestyle. 
Prayer is a constant acknowledgement that God never leaves you. He never forsakes you. And the wisdom of Christ is always with you. And you, you have direct access to the creator of the universe on a constant, constant level. It never, it never sways. It's time that we get set free. Say with me. I will no longer allow guilt and condemnation to hold me captive. I will walk in freedom that Jesus Christ has given me. Jesus is my propitiation. I am righteous, holy, and pure. My past does not dictate my future. I behold the Lamb who has taken away my sins, guilt, and condemnation. My debt has been paid. The life I now live, I live by faith of Jesus Christ in the power of His Spirit. As an adopted child of God Almighty. Amen. Amen, church. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you that we've been set free. We thank you that the lie of religion has been destroyed today. That we, it is not good for us to be in guilt. It is not good for us to feel shame. It is not good to be in condemnation. You have destroyed that. You have ridden that in our lives. Set us free in understanding who we are in Christ. Set us free in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to behold Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. We are not in debt. We have an abundance of grace. Where sin abounds, grace does more abound. Much more abound. Holy Spirit, we ask that You would convict us of our righteousness in Christ Jesus. That you convict us of our son and daughtership in Christ Jesus. That you would help us to walk in the freedom of Jesus Christ. That we would take on his yoke, for it is light. That we take on his burden, for it is easy. Heavenly Father, help us to walk and live in the unforced rhythms of grace. Help us to walk as ambassadors for Christ Jesus. Echoing, echoing Jesus in our life. May we live in Jesus. May we see ourselves free in Jesus. And may guilt, condemnation, and fear go back to hell from where it's from. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisnt.